To me, personal leadership is all about, and I say this also in my, um, I think in my bio, it's about taking the lead uh, of your own life. And that actually will feed into your career, that will feed into your business, that will feed into your health, your family, and all of these other things. But I think at the core, it's about taking charge of what this thing that we call life, because a lot of us have been raised in a society and in a world where there's this beaten path that we're supposed to follow. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, we have an exciting guest coming to us from the Netherlands. Kimberly O'Fori is with us, and the title today is Business Models, Failure and Reflection, Strategies for Scaling Your Business and Growing Your Leadership. One thing's for sure, Kimberly has a different perspective on many things, including personal leadership, what it takes to scale up a business, how critical it is to take a look at, take a deep dive in to what is and should be your right business model for the business you want to grow and scale. We're also going to have a really interesting conversation about maybe a different way to look at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one topic that we love is Kimberly's going to talk about the importance of the questions we ask ourselves and especially share some deep wisdom about how critical it is to take charge of our decisions and to continually ask ourselves why, why we do things, why we do things a certain way, why we believe things. We're going to cover a lot of topics today, but the heart of it all is about learning, including from our failures. And make sure to note Kimberly's conversation about the importance of reflection in your learning. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking, and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so excited to be back here today for another leadership conversation. And today we have with us Kimberly O'Fori. She's coming to us from the Netherlands. She's an entrepreneur, strategist, business consultant. She is the managing managing director of O'Fori and Company, a strategy and innovation agency where she helps scale-ups and corporations innovate their business models and overall strategic positioning in their markets. Now, Kimberly's got this fascinating story. We're going to learn more about it, but she had this unconventional career path. She came up, went up through the career ladder at a very young age, working and living in the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. She founded and sold two companies, and she's amassed a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience on what it takes to choose to be in the lead in your own life, in your career, and in leading others. And notice what she said first in leading your own life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about personal leadership. Kimberly's got a method that she uses with her clients called the lead method. And we're going to talk about what it takes to lead yourself in order to lead others. She also does a lot of work in the gender and racial equity world across the world, the globe, has business advisory roles in many organizations. I promise you a rich conversation. So welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff and Craig. Yeah, great to have you. 
So Kimberly, give us everybody a little more of uh, the backstory. Right. So I'm not sure what you haven't covered in that uh, introduction, but um, yes, I was born and raised in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Um, actually, uh, fun fact, I'm half Ghanaian, uh, so that's in West Africa and half Suriname, which is a small country in South America. Um, and my parents met here in the Netherlands and voila. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have three children um, and I live here with my husband. Um, the backstory really is started working on a very early age. So at 16, I was working full time. I talked myself into a life insurance job. Um, was the youngest girl around girl, I think, period in the company. Um, I worked my way up. Um, got licensed and um, started to explore more of what was possible. So I got into banking and insurance, um, ended up at private banking um, at a multinational bank called ABN Amro Bank here in the Netherlands. And then I made a shift, uh, moved to Dubai and got into consultancy, strategy consulting to be specific. Worked with a lot of big, large corporations over there over a span of about three and a half years and then was ready for another change but didn't want to come back to the cold. So I moved to Spain, Malaga. <laughs> and um, that is where um, at the beach, um, after settling in and finding out that I could not get a job if my Spain, my Spanish was that limited, um, I founded my first company. So um, I started a recruitment platform with artificial intelligence uh, backing, uh, matching really. And that company went fairly well. It got sold to a, a recruitment agency in Madrid. And then uh, I finally gave in to my husband and we moved back to the Netherlands. <laughs> um, there, um, I ventured into different things. I thought I had found the golden egg. I'd sold my first company. I could start as many companies as I wanted. Like, I was the only genius in the world. Um, so three, <laughs> <different> companies, <laughs> three of those companies uh, failed dramatically. So I know everything about what not to do as well. Um, and then uh, I founded a platform called the Apreneur Network, which was a social networking platform for African entrepreneurs um, to come there, pitch their startups, connect with other founders across the continent. And that was sold to a U.S. investor in 2019. And since then, I've really been involved more so in the strategic positioning of scale ups. So their growth strategy, but also looking at corporations um, when they have new innovative products that they want to launch through Euphorian company, um, we help them with their strategic positioning of that. Great. Well, well, Kimberly, I heard something unique in your story and I've heard a lot of stories in about 40 years of listening to stories. And that is that you didn't speak the language well enough to be employed. So you started your own company. I've heard a lot of reasons for starting your own company <laughs> and I've not heard that one. <laughs> I know. And I think looking back uh, at the time, I found a lot of the decisions I made very logical. Looking back, I'm like, well, there were other ways. But yeah, that's how that was my biggest reason at the time. Yeah. I think that's very logical. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's I just see genius in that. Frankly, <laughs> you, the word, I see genius in that. People would say, you know, to me, a lot of people would say, well, I got to learn the language. I got to right. get better at that, which is an example of taking their weakness and work on the weakness instead of saying, well, let me just adapt, innovate and create. Right. I don't need to learn the language. It's a beautiful language, but I don't need to learn the language. I will go a different way. Well, this is the first time that somebody has actually said that to me. So thank <laughs> you for that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> 
So let's start with this, Kimberly. Um, tell us a little more about the work you do with Euphorian Company. You talked about um, business models and strategic positionings. Talk about that work in businesses because you're helping businesses grow. Yes. That's the bottom yeah. line. So I've, I, I realized also looking back over the past 10 years that one thing that intrigued me a lot was finding a hole in the market or a different perspective on things. Uh, which is, as you pointed out correctly, I tend to do automatically uh, about how can I do uh, something differently that works. And so um, with Euphorian Company, I really started off with advising some of the companies that were getting funded on my own platform, Dapreneur Network, after they got angel investing or they got a series A round, um, they would come to me because they knew me and ask me if I could help them perhaps with positioning now for growth since they're now moving out of that whole startup space and now they need to start hiring, they need to start uh, being very clear about what, what, what it is that they do in the first place. Um, and because I tend to tended to work with a lot of technical founders, I found out that they really, really know their technology and they do not know their customer. And so yeah. what happens is that they sit on a technology and it never grows. It never sees the light of day. They can get funding, but they don't actually roll out because everything they're trying to do is push all the features that they've built into this onto the market, thinking that people will magically understand that this is great for them. And so where I come in with Ofori and Co is look at, okay, how can we make this complex idea uh, and make it less complex for somebody to understand and actually pick out what is of value? Mm -hmm. So we are really on the value positioning of things. We really look at, okay, you have this great technology. I'm sure you put a lot of hours in that. What people really want to know is what am I going to use it for? Mm -hmm. How is this going to help me? And so I help them to position themselves on that as that part of the uh, of things so that it can actually get sold. <laughs> well, it's interesting, Kimberly, because the concept of business models, in my experience, you don't hear that conversation a lot. I don't hear business owners talking about it. They may remember it from business school. Yeah, that it was a, you know, they talked about business models, but go a little deeper into why that business model conversation is important for companies, especially those who want to grow. So um, the interesting thing about this, and like you said, a lot of people are aware that there needs to be a business model of some sorts. And usually that's limited to, I have a product and I need to find a way to sell it. That's a business model, but that's not really a business model. <laughs> it's a goal. You want to have it sold. However, um, if you're going to look deeper into, okay, what, what, what can it, what can I do with what I have? Then you're going to look at, okay, you're actually going to flip it over and go backwards and say, okay, what is the market doing today? So for instance, if you have developed a technology that happens to help uh, mothers, which is a huge market uh, who are breastfeeding, just to give it a, a bit, be more specific. Um, and you've created a pump that is wireless, doesn't make any sound. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, leak um, whatever it has a solar panel energy, something crazy <laughs> like that, um, which are all great features. Um, how are you going to make sure that this sells uh, to these mothers? The business model part of it is really looking at 
where does the money reside on this in this in this whole kind of feature of things? And it's usually on um, understanding where the pain points are. So business models are really designed around, okay, we know women breastfeed, we know they're struggling with it. We know that there are a whole lot of other things around there uh, on the market that they could be buying. Why are they going to buy from us? Looking at the pain points, usually, um, for this company, they might want to say, actually, we found out after speaking to thousands of women or a thousand women that the money is never the issue, um, but it's the, um, the, the, the connectivity. And so I'm stuck between, I have to sit next to a, a socket because, mm. and, and I can't move. Meanwhile, I have three other children running around and I have to cook. I'm confined to this wall space for an hour to pump some milk. And so what you are going to do is you are going to create a business model around these women saying, hey, take back charge over your life. Um, you know, you're saving time um, by taking this product because now you can be cooking and you can be doing this, this, this thing. Um, and we're, you're going to charge, we're going to charge you in a certain way. That could be a subscription model. That could be a one-off cash payment. That's, that's all later. So the, how you're selling is less important the mediums that you're using is less important. The business model actually begins with understanding exactly who you're selling to on what specific Absolutely. topic are you selling it? Yeah, I think now, do you use tools like the business model canvas? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and then the value proposition canvas where we're connecting the actual needs, the pains and gains of, of people to the actual products. And I, I find that I've, I've talk to a lot of people about building business models and, and a lot of people will start with the product. But I, I think, you know, if you don't understand your customer and what their actual needs are and really dig into, you know, what are the pains? What are the gains that they want? If you don't do that, you're just, your messaging is going to be off. It's going to be a lot more difficult to figure out, is your product the right fit? And so designing it for the market rather than saying, okay, I have this thing, let's now find a market. I both can work, but I, I don't know, to you, do you, do you start more on the product side because that's where people end up or where do you go? Yeah, I tend to agree a lot with what you say. I am really big on the whole value. And I actually, actually, why I gave this specific example is this, you can have one big or one main um, focus of where the money is gonna come from, right? So that could be the breast pump. The business models, the different business models that you can create from that would be, you're going to give them a breast pump bra that they can buy. And now they have accessories and there's batteries and there's refillable solar panels and all of these things that you can, but these are all separate business models, but you're feeding into the big idea of I'm solving this one big problem for them. And I'm adding on top of that, all of these other ways I can monetize this, this on this problem. And so if you, your value isn't clear enough, if the value for the customer is not clear enough, you're probably going to stop by that one thing. And that is, Oh, people like to read books here. I have a book. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and point. that's, you know, and this is why Amazon is where it is today because they understood and they evolved. Perhaps it didn't start as this genius idea of, I'm actually quite sure it didn't start as this genius idea of I'm gonna do all of these things, but understanding that convenience was the biggest thing and accessibility was a big thing. And then the third thing was searching 
Nobody goes into the library thinking, yes, I'm going to spend the entire day looking for books that I can part. read on a specific part. There's yeah. some people that, and, and even that, you know, you, you, you would like to do it maybe once or twice. This is not something you're going to be doing when you're in a rush, when you need to get information. And we didn't have access to a Google the way it is today. And, and so the recommendations are huge. And the recommendations. So now they understood that, wait a minute, okay, accessibility is one thing, uh, easy search is one thing, but now actually what we're finding out is what making people buy is they need help in their decisions. You no longer have the bookstore clerk who's going to tell you, hey, I'm looking for this book on psychology. What can you recommend? Um, but we have 5,500 other people that are telling you that this book was good for right. this, and this, this and this reason. And so now Amazon has created this whole entire ecosystem. Um, but they really, at the core, are a company that provides you easy access. Yeah. Easy and access. I find that when we look at business models, oftentimes people look at other, you know, similar companies in a space and they just copy a business model. Yeah. And to me, that seems like such a waste. I mean, I actually created a game called Game Changer, which is the only game for the business model canvas that intentionally challenges their, their business model. So you come up with it and then I have challenge cards that will actually force you to change different aspects of it just to see, is there a better way? And what I find is that a lot of times people leave so much on the table. If you look at, let's take your breast pump for an example, we have this, this product that we start as the base product. Now we want to have the add-ons and things like that. But what about additional services and partnerships with other companies that could enhance that, you know, that can enhance the whole experience for them. And, you know, there are lots of other things that we can bring in affiliate relationships or just sourcing other products and offering them off of your website. So there's so many different things that we can do to add that in. And of course, if we can get into a recurring revenue model, then our, our business valuation goes way up too. Correct. And I, it's so funny because this, and this evolves over time, right? I always say none of your business models need to be set in stone just because right. it works today. You know, your, your, <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to work. And we know this things exactly. shift so rapidly and it used to take, uh, you know, a hundred years before an industry changes. And now on average, it takes 20, which is insane. Yeah. So now, um, you know, any company that has become a, a multinational um, is struggling now for scraps because now there are all these startups that are doing a little bit of what they were doing mm -hmm. in a different way. But also just look at how education has changed. Look at traditional universities. I mean, I recently completed a, a Stanford ex executive education program and a Harvard F executive education program um, from the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, I did not have to leave my house. And this is a new business model for them because now they're not reaching just people that can afford to get in, that are meeting the criteria for them to get in um, and are in the United States or willing to relocate. They're meeting people like me who at a later stage in life are deciding they want to know more about a topic. I have a few thousand euros that I can spend on it. And now all of a sudden there's this whole entire new uh, ed tech kind of situation going on within the educational system. So this traditional old standardized institution is actually building new business models. 
And what they and realized so, was they had this asset that was underutilized called yes. our staff, our, our professors, and yeah. we can get that out to the wider audience. So this comes to your example. So looking at, oh, what are other ways that I can actually use what I already have yeah. uh, to monetize or to create business models around? Mm-hmm. So, so Kimberly, you, you, one thing you said, you said a lot in all of that. But one thing I heard in there is they have to learn to look at their business differently, the question differently, their customers differently, to ask different questions. You're clearly coming in to do that with them, maybe for them. But are you also part of your work helping them to see it differently as well? Or do they not need to see it differently if they have someone like you? Well, definitely. I don't I definitely don't take work out of hand. So uh, and there's a reason for this. If let's say you're going to outsource this part, what's the value of my company to another company? What does that do to your organization? It doesn't change the culture. It doesn't change your perspective. And it's not sustainable. What if I go bankrupt? What if I don't no longer want to work with you? You never grasp the idea of why this is of value to your company. And now all of a sudden you're going downhill because you never understood why you were doing it in the first place. And so, no, I really take my time to work with the executives first, um, but also to the middle management because they are the ones that are steering the staff uh, to understand this. Um, on why is it important that whatever we bring out to, uh, today has been um, tested and tried and is wanted and needed by the people we're looking to sell it to. And so I think everybody comes to and understands that they're just different, I think, levels of stubbornness in this. <laughs> yeah, and just to give you an example, I was recently working with this incredibly intelligent uh, man in life sciences. He's an academic, um, he's into life sciences, was very specific. He has done, he's been in research all his life. That's what he does. He was born into a research family. That's just what he knows and technology. But research is very theoretical, usually, especially in that space, because a lot of the things that they're looking into is good on paper, but has never really been tried and tested because it takes it would take a billion uh, dollars to find out if it actually works, whatever they had in their in their little uh, laboratory. And so I had to help this guy understand that. In theory, yes, it would be great for us to know if this drug would improve this on, uh, it, it, I can't, I have to be careful with what I'm talking about, but this drug, um, this drug actually helps or so cures a certain disease. Um, but also understanding that there are some people, what, what effect would it have on the people? Um, how many people need this? And why would they go along with all the risks that they said were worth it? And so I had to actually have a discussion with them on, you may think it's worth the risk because it's such a brilliant idea, but look at how it's going to impact the people that are actually going to use your product. Mm -hmm. And so that requires, I think that's the biggest assignment of, of, of it all, seeing it from the perspective of the person who is going to be buying your product. So, so I'm curious, Kimberly, about the how, because you said earlier in this conversation, you do this naturally. You've, for most of your life, you look at the situation and you look at it very differently. 
how do you help others learn to see it differently? Because it's innate to you. It's not innate to them. I think over the years, I've gathered a lot of, it wasn't as easy as it is today. It's still difficult, but um, I use a lot of examples that can be understood by the people that matter. So um, I do a lot of pre-research. What I do is if, if I know I'm speaking to somebody who um, has had a certain aspect of life, and this is why I recommend always doing your research, even if it's not a client, um, just to understand where is somebody coming from? Just as if we are having a conversation today or you're just saying, hey, I'm going to go to a networking event. I'm looking to meet this person. Let's find out where they came from. Understand what their perspective was on life, because we have all of these different filters. And this is why it's so important that we talk about inclusion way more in the workplace or in business, because understanding where somebody comes from is going to inform the way that you're going to interact with them. And so I don't have one standard way of helping somebody see it. Of course, I have a method where I look at the problem. I let them explain their, their side of things. I have already done my research on the other side of things, um, their market, and then coming together and kind of bringing this together and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or what do you think about that? And just asking probing questions like that usually over time helps them to, to see things from a different perspective. Well, you just gave everybody a golden nugget, and I don't know if they all heard it, so I'm going to highlight it for them. You said several times your role is to help them see it. And I think too often leaders forget that's their job. Their job is not to tell people what to do or to tell people what they see, but to help their people see it. That's the leadership. And yeah. so I'm glad you brought that in, that that is what you do. It says you're you exercising leadership in your consulting, but this applies to leaders everywhere. Your job is to help them see it, not just tell them what you see. Absolutely. I think that's a huge gap today. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's some people that actually call this, there's this, this thing going on uh, online now. I think it's very old about the difference between a manager and a leader. And just really, you know, understanding that, you know, telling people what to do is not the same thing as um, allowing people or giving them the ability to, to see and to think in a way so that they know what to do and that or they want to actually go for it or inspire them. That's the way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so one thing I want to check in with you on, Kimberly, I, I want to get talking about personal leadership. But you said when in your introduction. You said you had, I think, three companies that failed and yes. you chuckled about that. Not everybody could see it. They might not have heard it. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about failure. Yes. Uh, so many people, business owners, entrepreneurs talk about how vital failure was in their growth. But Craig and I see a lot fewer companies who actually practice that belief in their companies. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, yeah, failure is really important, except we're not going to do it here. <laughs> so can you talk about two things, how important those failures were to you and your learning and growth, and also how, what kind of disconnects you might see in your work where companies don't really embrace that reality? Right. So thank you so much for this question. I love speaking about my failures. It's just something that um, I... I because I, I have always felt that I've learned so much from it, even before I was aware of how much it would help me today. 
Um, and at the time, don't get me wrong, I wasn't jumping saying, yeah, I'm bankrupt. No, nobody loves that. But um, it's all about the reflection that comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for me, I have been able to really take time to reflect and, and look at what, I, what, what happened, what I accomplished and where I think it went wrong or what was the circumstance? I know one of the companies that um, I set up was um, in the beauty industry. Um, I had no, I have no particular interest in that uh, per se. It was just an opportunity. I, I just Googled what is kind of the biggest industry that I could tap into with the least amount of money at the time. And there was this product that I could uh, buy cheaply from um, East Asia. And I thought I'm going to make this into a brand and I'm going to, and this is going to be a big thing. And I invested a lot in the money, not understanding the market, not understanding the product, not understanding the, 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 how the numbers work in that industry. Long story short, I just thought my brain was going to do the magic like it did before. That's what I thought. <laughs> and so uh, also then, but what I, what I learned afterwards was that one, if you're not familiar in an industry, get help from people who do. Absolutely. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, don't you you can't you can't be good at everything. You know that you're not good at everything. And you definitely know that you have no business in this per se. And there are certain skill sets that I have that can help grow the business. But when it comes to actually understanding the market and the product and the licensing and all of these things, I had no clue what I was getting into. And so one of the things that I learned was, okay, you can go into any industry that you like, but then get the right team on board that's going to help you get there. Um, And that cannot just be you. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a big lesson. Um, I think another thing that I learned as well is about... uh, um, growth doesn't mean fast. And it's something that sounds very logical, but I, I remember I was interviewed the other day and I, they were saying, you speak a lot about scaling up. And then at the same time, I was telling people about take your time to understand and grow into all of these stages that you're going to grow into. And they were like, isn't that contrary to talking about scaling? I said, no scale. There's nothing in the word scale that says it's fast, right? We have made it fast. You know, we actually say some of the descriptions and definitions say, oh, a scale up is a fast growing company. Fast according to who? In what timeline? In what industry? Because fast in, in healthcare is 10 years before they get approved. <laughs> Whereas 10 years in um, e-commerce is a very long time. Yes. And so what are we talking about here? It's all relative. And so I really understood there and then that, yes, some speed is required as a startup because there's a lot of competition. There are big, big multinationals looking at what you're doing and they might copy and paste and what, but that's going to happen regardless. And so it's all about building in sustainability in your company. So that's the second biggest lesson that I learned. I think these two things really helped me and inform the decisions that I make today. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, both of those pieces are, are so important. I think when you look at the team, so many people think I have to get big enough so that I can hire people in order to grow. And it's just not true. There are so many people who will work um, either for a piece of the action, you know, you know, work for stock, something like that, because they're interested in trying in working with a startup, 
because it, it's so fun and there's just a totally different energy in there. But there are also people who work as fractional executives, you know, fractional chief marketing officer, fractional chief financial officer. I've have had all of them. And you can get really good talent, people who really know your industry for just a few hundred dollars at a time. You know, so yeah. it, it really helps you to get the right kind of advice. Then there are also support organizations like, you know, entrepreneurial support organizations and others that will provide mentors. I, I mentor people in the executive in the executive education program at my business school. And yeah. so working with those startups, helping them understand that, yes, you do actually have to talk to customers, you know, <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> you what's in your head, you think you know what they want, but you need to understand their language and you really need yeah. to understand, is it true? You need to validate that hypothesis. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. I think there's another lesson. You, there was a lesson in there that you didn't speak to, but it's in the umbrella of what you shared. And the key word I heard in there is reflection. Hmm. What you said is I looked at what happened and I reflected. And my experience is, in fact, I've really flipped this. People always say they learn from experience. I don't believe that anymore. I don't think we actually learn from experience. I think we learn from experience plus reflection. Yeah. As to what to learn, because I've asked people who've had those failures. So what'd you learn from that? And they'll say, learn not to do that again. <laughs> well, what'd you learn not to do again? Not fail. 
And so I think it's real. The key wisdom I heard at the outset was you went back and reflected on what worked, what didn't, and why it didn't work, and what do I need to do different in the future to minimize those risks? Because they're all the risks are always there, and I, I want people to hear that. So everybody wants to get past the failure, but you got to learn from it. Yeah, okay. yeah, I love yeah. that. Uh, I, I want to shift gears a little bit here. We've been talking about your consulting work and some of your successes, failures, what you've learned. Uh, I know a lot of your work is about leadership and specifically personal leadership, which can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So talk for a moment about what is personal leadership to you and why does that matter? Uh, thank you for that question. I think that um, for me, it didn't really dawn on me that um, this was a topic that was actually a red thread in, in my life until about three years ago. Um, because to me, personal leadership is all about, and I say this also in my, um, I think in my bio, it's about taking the lead uh, of your own life. And that actually will feed into your career, that will feed into your business, that will feed into your health, your family and all of these other things. But I think at the core, it's about taking charge of what this thing that we call life, because a lot of us have been raised in a society and in a world where there's this beaten path that we're supposed to follow. And so... And understandably so, especially those of us who were born or raised after industrialization, you know, we understand that there is a system being put in place. We need that many people who know how to work with electricity, that people, that many people that know how to build things. We need that many doctors and we're going to train our children to fulfill all of these jobs because we're going to need that to grow our economies. A lot of our economies across the world have been built with that in mind. What happens there is that from school, from a very early uh, age, we are also being told what to do and what not to do in order for us to complete that task and to get to the uh, desired end result. If you want to be a doctor, you do this, but you don't do that. Um, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be an architect, there are certain things that you're going to do and there are certain things that you're not going to do. There are certain activities that you do. There are certain friends that you're not going to hang around. There are certain time or hobbies that you can't afford to do and you can't. And so we are being told from a very young age, do this and don't do that. Um, and this is going to bring you there without it really zooming into, without us really taking a moment and looking back and saying, hey, is that what I want? Is that what I want? Right. Is that what, what are my qualities? And how can I use what I, who I am and what I can do um, to be of service to others, um, to add to the, uh, to the world, to the economy, to society? That question is never really asked until... It's never too late, but until a later age, you know, when, when you're when you're probably retired and the people, hey, how do you want to give back? Well, I can barely walk, but, um, you know, it's like, it's like it, it's really interesting that we only ask that question later. How do you want to give back um, versus I think that when it comes to personal leadership in the way that I see it is it's personal leadership starts from age five, even before that time training children to think about what they can do. 
um, what they're good at. And then that will flow into and inform what they're going to decide to support the society with, Um, whether that be as a employee um, in a certain company that they're really passionate about the mission of the company or um, as an entrepreneur. I think it's brilliant what you're talking about there. I mean, certainly as we look at our children, we want them to have a great life. One of the things I, I see is if we can expose them to more things, they, they learn what they like, what they don't like, but we also need to shine a light on their brilliance. You know, where are they really yeah. sh- showing up in, in such a unique way so that we can help them marry their passions with their, their particular gifting? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's, it only makes sense, you know, the, the, the number of career paths that are there today. Huge. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And, yeah. you know, we have grown into a society where so many different things are possible, which were not just 70 years ago, right? Um, and so it's understandable that you're going to teach your children, the people that you love and care for, to do the things that you know of. Uh, that's with that which is familiar. That's with that which is secure. We also understand now that um, the most brilliant people in the world didn't necessarily um, follow those paths. Right. They broke out and they did things differently. Doesn't mean that you have to become an Einstein or that you have to be a school dropout to be brilliant. It's all about what is the path that you're taking and are you making decisions based on your own conviction? Are you making decisions based upon what you believe is right or what you feel is the right thing to do versus what you're being told? I think that's what personal leadership is at the core. I think it's really important that we look at our our role models, actually have conversations about how they got started read biographies, understand where people came from and how they got to this point. You know, if, if yeah. you like Steve Jobs, understand that he had some issues, you know, as yeah. he went yeah. along, but he helped to understand what those were. And because of his unique perspective of going in de- and looking at design and philosophy and so forth, that helped inform how he created Apple. Yes. And so there's so many interesting nuances and each person can take their own path. And oftentimes we we say, okay, this is the way, right? But as yeah. parents, we really want to help them see bigger. And, and even as ourselves, I totally agree with you. We need to have that time of reflection and say, okay, how are we going to serve? And those, those times where we do that earlier in life, you don't have to go through that midlife crisis because <laughs> you've already created yeah. value yeah. for other people. So, so Kimberly, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about here at the beginning is systemic. It's systemic in um, our education system. It's systemic in our, a lot of our business thinking. It's systemic in our parenting models and thinking. Uh, and it's certainly, uh, it's been a little while. I hope this has changed, but I'm afraid it hasn't. It, as a speaker, you always want to be invited back. But the place I've almost <laughs> never been invited back is at schools. <laughs> yeah. Because I always get one question every time, and I can tell that the system doesn't like how I answer the question. The question, the students will say, how am I supposed to know at 17 what I want to do? And my answer is, you're not. You're 17 years old, yeah. and you probably don't know for sure, and the odds are it's going to change. So unless you're convinced you want to be a doctor, 
or some path that requires these are the boxes have to be rechecked and be really confident and know that you might make a mistake there too. Yeah. Explore. My invitation is explore. That is not, and I look and I always Absolutely. look and I'll see the teachers and the counselors, their heads down. Like, I can't <laughs> believe you told them that. So I think there's, so you're talking about a systemic issue, but I'm guessing your work is largely not systemic. Maybe it is in terms of your messaging the world. But when you're working with clients, they're not six, they're not 10. Your clients are further in the journey. So how do you support them in that journey? Is it the same questions, just different time in their life? Funnily enough, I was about to say that because a lot of them have not been asked that question enough. And so I think it's a perfect time to ask a 50, 65 year old. Why do you think that? <laughs> Why did you make that decision? Why do you think this is good for the company? Why? Not this is, this is the way things are. I'm just really curious to find out what your thoughts are about the decision you're about to make or the decision that you're struggling to make. Mm -hmm. Why is it difficult? And so, but also what are you looking to achieve with this? It's a big question. So a lot of times policies being made by other people and then a supposed leader or a manager or a director is supposed to just implement that or steer that into existence and never really sitting back and thinking, okay, but the outcome of this is what? Is it going to bring me the desired results? And is that the direction I would like the company to go uh, into? You know, there's this, this kind of disconnect. Um, and this is also where that question that I didn't actually answer about um, what I see in terms of failure uh, today. Um, if, is there a disconnect in the way companies and businesses handle this? It's all about you, you have all of these layers of who you report to. Um, and you also have this track record that you need to keep safe. Somebody told you that you need to have a certain track record that's flawless or at least flawless enough. Um, and not, and that puts a lot of pressure onto making the right decisions, never really questioning what the right decision is. And if it's okay, mm -hmm. if your company culture is as such that you're trying things first, to find out if it was a good decision or not. And if it wasn't, that you're flexible enough to shift to something else. Why don't we work with strategy sprints or policy sprints within the company and say, hey, yes. we're gonna try this thing for six weeks. We think it's a good idea, but we're not sure yet. We've never done it before. It has never done before, so we don't have anything to look back at. We're gonna try this. Try to get people to be involved with that process once you have figured things out and then get feedback along the way. Why do we do that with everything else um, when it comes to rolling new things out or making use decisions about a product or a service? And we don't do it with our actually internal processes, which is the same thing. You're just a new product or a service yeah. in a big building. So use sprints and be okay if it didn't work out. And so this is the questions that I ask these leaders a lot of the times. It's okay, you're making this decision. It's going to be for the next five years. This is how things are going to be. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's crazy talk thinking that you're going to have something in place for five years. And five is even and small. Five is even you know, a very short. You know, most policies are there indefinitely until somebody comes along and says, hey, we should look at our policies again. And so and this is only one example. But we're also looking at our company culture. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion is a big topic, but I find it such a strange thing to talk about because diversity is default. You and I are bound to be different. We are not the same person. So diversity Definitely. is a fact. Even if we look alike. It's a fact that even if we're twins, there will be diversity among the two of us. I'm not you and you're not me. Right. So we're diverse. That's it. I don't understand why we're still having a conversation about the fact that we are different. <laughs> okay, that is one. Right. But then you come into a company and we're talking about, oh, we need to be more diverse in what and for what. That's the only thing that you need to ask for your own company. It could have been that you yeah. are now finding out that what you are, whatever worked before doesn't fit with what your customers want today. And so you need to find people who think and look differently so that it can help you to understand the perspective of your current market. So instead of you just going around saying, okay, so now we need 50% women, we need uh, so, so many percent Hispanics and, 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 and black people and, and gender diverse people, um, for what? What is the goal? What are you trying to achieve? Because you can have a group of people that were raised the same way, from the same, were raised in the same neighborhood, had, went to the same schools, had the same career path, and there one is male, one is young, one is a woman, one is black, one is white, and it's still not going to be very diverse. So what, is, what are you really hiring That's into? So I think it's all about asking the why. What is the outcome? I think you're... That that last word is exactly what I was thinking. Be committed to the outcome, but be yeah. flexible with the with the way that you're getting there with your approach. And if you're looking at, you know, if my customer base is diverse in these different ways, I should probably have my team be diverse in those different ways so that we yeah. can understand them better and actually talk to them. Um, but I I love you know yes outcome focus versus. And, and being willing to try new things. So we have hypotheses. Okay, it's worked mm -hmm. well for this other company, so we're going to do the same thing. Well, yeah, but do we sell exactly the same product to the, exactly the same people? And so we need to adjust yeah. how we approach things. I'm curious, Great. Kimberly, as you were talking about sprints, um, I was thinking of some situation I heard of recently. Pretty good size organization in my book, several hundred million working on their strategic plan. Now, whenever I hear that, I cringe, just that phrase alone. And then I heard that they've been working on their strategic plan for five quarters already. Oh my gosh. And I cringe even more. And yeah, you know, to your point, Craig, pe you know, people are trying to develop these plans for five or 10 years. I get having a plan but I don't understand anymore why we're talking about taking more than a year or many, many months to create a strategic plan for way down the road instead of doing what you're talking about. Yep. Let's 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 do sprints. What's let's do strategic planning agile style. I mean, come on. Uh, it just feels old school and it doesn't seem to fit the model of the world today. But I think you have the ability to do both. You know, you can have those short-term sprints 
and try new things. And that be, you know, I think that the outcome that we're wanting can be best served by doing this. And so we try that thing, but in, on the, you know, in the back room or wherever it is, the, the job of the CEO is to be looking forward and where is the company going to be going? Where is the market going to be going? And then finding the intersection of those points and saying, okay, here's the plan on, on how to get there. We want to go there, but we have all these yeah. little steps along the way. It's okay. We, we need to try new things. We need to see what works. Let's, let's change how we do things in, in comparison to our competitors. But ultimately, you know, we want to go in this longer term direction. I think you do both at the same time. Right. What are your thoughts on that, Kimberly? Uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And, and I think it's situational. It, it depends on, you know, where the company stands, uh, what industry you're in, the size, um, what kind of product or service you offer. Um, at the end of the day, again, it comes all, it all boils down to this. Um, what, what kind of company do you want to be? What kind of business do you want to be? Um, and if you understand that, then everything else um, is going to inform those decisions. So you're not always going to get it right. Um, but that's the beauty of things, right? That's the beauty of building something from scratch to not knowing and finding out and figuring it out a different way. I think that's, to me, that's the most exciting thing about entrepreneurship, about seeing things grow from scratch is not knowing exactly what is going to come of it. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Um, but at the end of the day, you will have found that you've made steps forward because whatever it is, it's going to inform the next decisions you're going to make. So Kimberly, uh, as we get near time here, you've talked a good bit about personal leadership. And a lot of what I've heard in that is asking people, asking leaders, managers, business owners, entrepreneurs, a lot about themselves, helping them understand themselves, what's important to them, what did they want to be and create. Um, that's also, you know, they also, some of these people have positional leadership roles where they're leading others. How are those questions interconnected? So really interesting um, topic here because your personal views and beliefs may not uh, attract or facilitate the kind of people that you would that you're leading or that you would like to lead within the company. And so understanding who you are, what your mindset is, what your skill sets are are great as a leader. It also means that you're going that's going to open up the conversation about the things that you do not know and that you may not be good at. And so when it comes to speaking to leaders, um, I had this discussion the other day. And this um, company, they have about 200, 200 people in the company. And um, he was saying, I, I keep hearing that I have to make a decision about being more inclusive. And so our teams, I think, is very diverse. But I heard that there's a difference between having them included, getting them to be included and feeling included in a company. And so there's this constant outflow of people. We hire diverse according to what we think is diverse, but then they leave and I don't understand why. And so the question here was really, um, what is inclusivity? Because being inclusive is 
something some people may disagree with me, but I think is not subjective. It's something that can be measured objectively. Uh, and so if you have a company where you are saying you want to hire somebody who is very detail oriented um, and you may think of somebody who perhaps has always had good grades in science, a specific science that's very specific. So you're going to hire for that. Are you bypassing facilitating for somebody who is deaf? And so now that person is very detail oriented about his surroundings and catches things more quickly because his other senses are more prone to catch things. Um, but because you haven't facilitated for a sign language person in your meetings, that person can never join. And so you're missing out on being inclusive for that person. Um, it is also when it comes to having somebody that is blind, but is very well spoken, is very smart, is very fast. And now, now uh, nowadays, even the coffee machines are touchscreen. And so now how is he going to get himself a cup of coffee? You're not creating an inclusive environment for, for that person. And so without even thinking about it, we've now excluded somebody who would be really great uh, for the company uh, because we're not simply facilitating according to what we thought would be an inclusive environment. So with that, I always ask the question about what kind of culture do you want to have? Do you want everybody to feel welcome or just some people? And I don't put any judgment on whatever the answer is. Some companies prefer to have certain people in the company. I am not the person to tell them that's good or bad. I can just show them the numbers, but it's up to you to decide if that's the kind of company you want to run. And so that's where actually the conversation starts. Okay, now I'm going to have to look at, okay, what, what matters to these people that I'm working with? Does it matter that they have a space that is less noisy because they're hypersensitive? Things like that. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because it, I had a conversation this summer with a very senior executive and we were talking about some of these different initiatives and his comment was that he had been on a zoom call and people were asked to put their pronouns in their picture. Now I have my pronouns. That was a choice I made many months ago. They were told they wanted to put them in there. And his question was, he said, you know, I wonder why are we, it seems like sometimes we're giving too much attention to a very small group of people who would be in the, the they, them, the non-binary group. And it is a small number. I mean, it's, a, it's a percentage small number. And I said, well, I guess the way I look at it is, even if it's just one out of a thousand, why would we not want them to be included? Right. Even if it's just for one. And we had a good conversation about it, but I think that's your part of your point that doesn't matter the numbers. You're either excluded or included. It's yeah. kind of like there's no middle ground. Yeah. And most of the things about inclusion are not that hard. They just need to be thought about. Exactly. And it really starts with thinking about it. What would it take? Just that. What would it take? Um, if I want to get here, what would it take? Oh, okay. That means I need to hire diverse people. That means I need to facilitate for that diversity. That means I need to make decisions about things that I believe in, but also, you know, one of the biggest things that we've learned in, in the years of research about why people leave jobs 
whether it's a startup or a big company, um, you know, they leave, they leave their bosses, right? They leave their managers. And so what, what is it that they're leaving? Are they leaving um, that they don't agree with policy? Usually not, because they believe that if there's a policy existing, you signed off on that. So this is what you believe. And so it's going to be so much more important, especially for the millennials and the gen after that, what is it, the gen Z, X, Y, I don't even know. Um, but that we are very uh, intentional and take responsibility for whatever we um, support. It can no longer be, we can no longer say, this is just company policy, it's not me. I'm just the person doing it. No, you actually have a say. And if you're leading others, whether it is you're a team leader or you're a manager or you're a managing director, that means that you have a say and you have a responsibility to decide if you're going to support it or you're, or you're going to change it. And if you're not changing it, then you're in support. That's what this generation is all about. And so it's going to be about being very intentional about your leadership. Well, great wrap up word, intentional. Be more intentional about your leadership. So Kimberly, we always want to give our guests a chance to highlight or promote something that's going on for them or their business. What is that for you? Well, I wish I had some big thing coming up, but uh, I, I'm, we're definitely, I'm definitely pivoting with uh, the company, so Euphoria Company. Um, in this talk, I've already sp spoken on what we're going to be focused on uh, much more now, which is really on the value proposition of things. Um, and then what business models you're going to tie on to that. It's a small pivot, but we, are, we were also really known for having the entire strategic planning uh, in place. Um, so we're, that all also means that we're working more with younger companies. So as I've already mentioned, so scale-ups um, that are now really going to be more intentional about <clears throat> the value they're bringing with their products or services because they have the luxury of no longer just pushing things to market because it sells, but they can actually think about what they're bringing to market um, and diversify on that. So that's the, the, the new kind of focus that I have for the company. Wonderful. And what's the best way for people to connect with you, Kimberly? Definitely find me on LinkedIn. I find myself to be more responsive there. This is also where um, I network most easily. Um, so find me on LinkedIn and then we could take it from there. Well, thank you, Kimberly. And we always wrap up with a question. And our question for you is, what's that one piece of wisdom to our listeners? What do they need to hear from you to wrap up today? Um, I really wish for each and every one of your listeners to uh, just start today with making a conscious decision to take charge of the decisions that they're making and ask themselves, why? Why am I doing this? Is it for me? Um, and is this what I want? I think so many big things start from this, uh, from this one question, asking yourself, what do I want and, and why? That's something that I don't think we ask ourselves a lot, but has changed my life. I know for sure. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for being here, for all that you shared and for the work you're doing to get more people to ask that why question. Yep. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much.
If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.